OU's 25-point comeback win on Saturday against Baylor was awesome. Not only was it a primetime road win over an undefeated conference team, but it could also act as a moment that propels this team to greater heights. The grit and determination they showed in the second half of that game really is rare, and is something you only see in teams that are special. But all of that is simply narrative for folks like you and me who wish to find a way to explain certain events in this crazy sport. Because in reality, that Baylor game is over. The second-half comeback has no impact on the rest of the season that continues on Saturday night against TCU. And this highlights the challenge that Oklahoma's coaching staff has in front of them for this week. How do you refocus your players after the unbelievable high of what they accomplished on Saturday night? TCU has been an average football team this season. They've generally been pretty good on defense, but not up to their usual standards, and they've been inconsistent at best on the offensive side of the ball showing instances of explosion and playmaking ability, but largely has struggled to put together consistent drives over the course of the year. This is a team that Oklahoma should beat by multiple touchdowns, period. I believe we will find out pretty much everything we need to know about this team the rest of the season on Saturday night. If the Sooners come out focused and hungry and put the game away early like they're capable of doing, this team may be poised to make a late run at the playoff. If they come out with glitches on the offensive line, if it takes the defense another half to get their feet under them, and if they let TCU hang around and land punches, this team will likely have to be just okay with another Big 12 championship and falling short of their ultimate goal. It's all there for the taking. The 2015, 2017, and 2018 Sooners went out and grabbed it. What are the 2019 Sooners made of? We're going to find out on Saturday night. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Bullet pass up the seam. Morris. Touchdown. 27 yards. All he does is what? Score touchdowns. That's it. Lee Morris gets us going here today on West of Everest. Morris had a couple of grabs last year against TCU, both of them going for touchdowns. Oklahoma beat the Frogs 52-27. With C.D. Lamb out last week against Baylor, Morris led the Sooners in receiving. Lamb's status for this week against TCU is up in the air, so Morris may be asked to step up once again on Saturday. Hey everybody, I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the beginning of the show with his opening take today. He'll join me in a moment, but first a heads up on the timing of this episode. We've been recording the midweek podcasts on Tuesday nights for the past few weeks. The latest college football playoff rankings will come out likely as we are recording the show, so we'll comment on all of that stuff later on in the show as we see fit. I'm not a fan of how long we've gone the past two weeks simply because I don't know how much you all want to deal with two-part episodes, so I'm going to take it upon myself today to try to be a little more tight and precise with the analysis, and I think Grant might feel that same, uh, the same way as well. No telling if that results in a shorter show, but that's the plan, and we'll see how it goes. All right, let's bring back in Grant now. Grant, what's going on today? Nothing much. It's, uh, it's a dreary day in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis-St. Paul, ready to talk TCU. As am I. And here is the setup for today's show. Quick on news and notes of the week from the press conferences. And then I've got a little bit of sound to play from Alex Grinch and Delarian Turner-Yell from Monday night's defensive availability. 
And then we'll dive right into Oklahoma versus TCU. The matchup will go over TCU's offense versus Oklahoma's defense, Oklahoma's offense against TCU's defense, what we want to see happen in the game, and of course, what will happen in the game. And then after that, I think the playoff rankings will be out by then. We'll probably save that for the national college football portion of the show where we make picks. By the way, Grant was very good on picks last week, 4-1. and one. We'll talk Big 12, we'll do picks, we'll do college football playoff discussion later in the show. First off, though, Grant, I think the biggest news coming out of Lincoln Riley's press conference is that C.D. Lamb, his status for TCU is, quote, up in the air. Don't know what that means. I'm going to guess there's a little bit of gamesmanship there if Lamb is good to go because we know Riley is all about that gamesmanship and he's less than forthcoming when it comes to injury things. And the last we heard about that is that it's a medical issue. I know you mentioned that on the Sooner Scoop podcast that Kerry Murdoch had a theory that maybe it was a suspension. I have not been able to confirm or deny that theory for Kerry Murdoch, but it's an interesting, unusual situation, and the fact that Lamb is still up in the air, I it kind of makes me think it might still be injury-related, that medical issue, but I will say I have been... I have been given a little bit of info that I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to say to think that I'm a little more optimistic about C.D. Lamb's availability this week. Just my own personal feeling based on what I heard. But that does not that doesn't mean that he's going to play for sure. We'll see. I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to you. And this is the first you're hearing of this. And it doesn't mean a lot to the people listening to this podcast. But uh, it's a weird situation. If I had to guess right now, as we record this, I say C.D. Lamb does play, but it goes up until game time, like last week against Baylor, and we don't know until the very very end of it, and therefore TCU doesn't know until the very end of it that he's playing. That's what I think your reaction to that. I fully expect C.D. Lamb to play. I, I don't... Your hunch? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you can call it a hunch, I suppose. I just... Lincoln Riley has a very, very long and detailed history of misleading the media and everybody else. And if you, if you actually went back and rewatched the broadcast um, from ABC on, on Saturday night, Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler basically straight up said they were misled about CeeDee Lamb. Lincoln Riley does this. CeeDee Lamb's fine. He's going to play on Saturday night. Okay. The other portions of the press conference I figure figure is worth mentioning here you may all have noticed I'm not sure how much we talked about this on the postgame podcast if at all but RJ Proctor came in and played quite a bit at left tackle and Eric Swenson started and Riley said that Swenson is fine and the plan was to play RJ Proctor all along during the week he earned some playing time there so just wanted to bring up the fact that it sounds like everybody is is good there health-wise and also it sounds like whoever Everyone that played in that game, which includes Adrian Ely, because going into that Baylor game, we were uncertain about Adrian Ely's status. He did play. Lincoln Riley made it seem that everyone who played in the Baylor game, it seems like they're good to go. They should be good to go for TCU. So I think the offensive line, when it comes to the main players on that offensive line, I think at this point everybody is good to go and should be intact as far as we know come Saturday. Uh, the one other thing that I found to be interesting, we found out, Grant, that the Oklahoma coaches, some OU coaches, showed the Sooners players last week before the Baylor game highlights of that Patriots 
comeback win over the Falcons in the Super Bowl in which New England trailed Atlanta 28-3 to at one point. Incredible coincidence that that happened. It almost seems too good to be true. And Lincoln Riley made a joke at the press conference. Actually, Barry Trammell made the joke first because Barry was asking Lincoln about showing that that video, those highlights. And Barry said, do you think you should show a different Super Bowl? And he referenced one. I can't remember what Super Bowl it was. Where it's, 49ers, I mean, the 49ers beating the Bengals 55 yeah. to 10 or something. And, uh, you know, Riley laughed and said, oh, you took my joke. So Riley was going to use that joke. So he already had an answer for it. So that is inc- that's just nuts. That, why would they even think to show video of that at this point of the season? I, I mean, that is just I mean, I, I don't have a lot to say about that. I just thought in case for some reason you listen to this podcast, I've not heard that yet. That's just an incredibly weird storyline to come out of this game. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was like you said, I mean, it's a really f- it's an interesting coincidence for sure. I thought the Barry Trammell bit, that joke, um, I actually did see video of that. I was following along on Twitter on Monday when they were doing their press. I thought that was legitimately hilarious. Like, that's actually really funny. Um, and I, I think it was like, I think his question was, whose idea was it to show the the 28-3 to one? And I think he said something along the lines of like, may I suggest you, you should have shown him the 55-10 to 10 game between <laughs> yeah. the... And like, I thought that was legitimately hilarious so Barry's great Barry Trammell is just a gem he is uh he's just great I know some of you that listen to this podcast I know he's kind of a polarizing figure in the Oklahoma City media but I didn't know much about Barry before I joined News 9 three years ago and just getting to know him and seeing him and he's just such a kind nice person he always says hi he's just he's a really good guy and I'm not sure if that means much to you all listening from the the non-media spot that you are, but just in my personal opinion, and, and every media member you talk to will, t- will say the same thing. He, we all just really like Barry, so that is, that's great. That was a funny joke. All right, Grant, I have some sound from Alex Grinch that I wanted to play as I pull it up here quickly. Where is it? So I went to the availability Monday night, and first one I want to play for you is a question by Eddie Radosovich from Sooner Scoop, and I just want you to listen to this sound. There's a couple of parts from this that I found to be really interesting, and I'll be curious to hear your thoughts from from uh, this soundbite from Alex Grinch. So we'll start with, uh, you'll, you'll hear Eddie's voice first, and he's asking, it's talking about the Baylor game and kind of the way the second half went compared to the first half. It makes it even more, I mean, I guess frustrating in a way to see how they played in the second half and then look back at the first half. Well, well it is. It's, and, and, and I didn't sugarcoat them. And, and uh, it's, it's gross. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's to, to watch guys. And we take a lot of pride, a lot of pride in not being a defense of the week. And, and a lot of pride in not saying, okay, the, the, this week we're going to have, you know, these 10, 10 new calls and these, these seven new blitzes and we're, you know, we'll, 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 we'll out scheme them every week. We, we take a lot of pride in that. And so to, to see things that we've been executing since spring and all of a sudden in the moment, you know, we're unable to do so is, is uh, um, you know, something that's really, really hard. I mean, it's impossible. You know, to say hard, it's impossible to give yourself a, a competitive chance against a good football team uh, to, to to stop them in any way. 
Um, and, 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 you know, they're going to have their plays where they out-execute you. You're going to have plays where you out-execute them. But to, to have just, just gimmies and, and, and not taking a running back out of the backfield, that, that's to, to, to have unblocked guys not be in a position to even make a tackle attempt, just, just uh, it, it uh, and again, it comes back on me and i got to do a better job. First question, Grant, how well were you able to hear that? Uh, I mean, fairly well. It's, I, I, I understood the gist of what he was trying to say. Um, I, his... Alex Grinch's superlatives are hilarious. It's just just disgusting. It's disgusting. <laughs> I believe like he said he gross. Just, gross. Yeah, he's just like any. It, it, he's like he's that type of guy who anytime the offense has success that he's coordinating against, he is just sickened. <laughs> I, <It's> like, <laughs> I like. Sickened. I mean, I like that mentality. I, I suppose for sure. All right. So since and. Our technology here is not great, so sometimes I play these clips, and I'm playing them over the phone for Grant, so that's why I asked if he can hear it well. Here's what stood out to me about that. Obviously, the part where he says it's gross, that's just funny, and he sounds like something something a fan would say. You know, it's gross. It's, it's something, like something that you would say. The first thing that stood out, though, is what he said kind of after that, though, is that, and I had to listen to this again because when I was there and I heard him say this, I kind of thought, man, did he say that? And when I listened to it again... I realized, yes, he did say that, and I was honestly not too pleased with it. He says something along the lines of, and I'm going to paraphrase, they take pride in not being the defense of the week, not being that defense who's just going to week to week out-scheme you. They take pride in being the defense that does one thing, and they practice it all the time, and they do it really well, and it sickens him, and I'm paraphrasing, that things that they've been doing since spring, and all of a sudden they're not doing it, and to me, when I heard that, I thought, oh, no, I hope that this is some this is a public thing that he is saying, because I want my defensive coordinator to put in. He's, he mentioned something on the lines of seven to ten new blitzes and things like that. OK, that's a lot. But I want my defensive coordinator to put in some new wrinkles with every single opponent and out scheme that upcoming opponent that week based off what they've seen on tape and add certain things to your base defense that makes it more difficult on the opposing offense. So I was surprised, to be honest with you, to hear him say that they take a lot of pride in doing what they like to do and thinking essentially making sure that they're keeping themselves in mind and taking care of what they know to do as opposed to what the offense is doing to them. And that, again, I hope that's something that he's just saying publicly because – if he's going into all these games just thinking we got to keep running what we run and sure here and there you'll see a couple of wrinkles here and there but we got to just do what we do and that's going to be good enough the past three weeks with the exception of the second half against Baylor what they've been running their thing is that has not been good enough and it's gotten them beat one time that was somewhat alarming to me and I don't know if that was conveyed well to you when you're listening to it did you pick up on that yeah okay so I was actually I was gonna ask you because I thought that part was unclear I wasn't sure what he was saying because um, I thought based off how that conversation went you could have taken from that that he was saying they put pride and in, in putting a lot of new stuff in and and that's but, what I thought he said at first when I was there live and then I had to listen back and that's he's saying the exact opposite, actually. I think you can take this multiple ways, to be honest with you, because I remember last season one of the big one of the big complaints about Mike Stoops was that you know a lot of the times every week to week he tries to reinvent the wheel rather than doing one thing and being really good at that. Um, you know that that was a common criticism of Mike Stoops, and so um, 
I, I understand where you're coming from. I think in order, especially in 2019, if you want to beat the really good offenses, like the spread passing teams, you're going to have to do some new stuff to confuse them and, and, and the like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I understand, you know, what you're saying, but I, I, this may be an instance where I think even like the like a Nick Saban type defense, or I'm trying to think, or what Ohio State's defense now, they probably don't do as much new stuff as we think they do. Sure, sure. And it worked for the first seven games for the most part. It's just it's a lot more easy to dissect and talk about whenever we've seen offenses really get a lot over on Oklahoma's defense with the exception of that second half against Baylor. So I would guess the real like challenge for a good defensive coordinator is how do we how do we stay true to what our culture is and what our scheme is and run stuff that's familiar to the players so that they're not confused. But then once we get into big games going up against teams that we're not used to or teams that can stretch us in different ways, then how do we go about disguising that coverage or that those types of defenses so that we're still running the same stuff but still trying to confuse the offense and I think yeah, I, I think good. I'm assuming in terms of like preparation and when you're like prepping for for a bowl game I bet that's what a lot of it is 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 just how how can we disguise this um but there's also instances I'm sure of completely new stuff and I'm just throwing something out here uh, the Sooners last national championship when they beat Florida State um, they sort of they were playing uh, kind of 2019 defense before it was cool back then because if you remember uh, they had they had Roy Williams playing Sam linebacker in that game so essentially a nickelback um, and and that was totally different they hadn't done that the entire season so um, that's that's an example of something totally new that they probably put in there um, but I think a lot of the time it, it probably is how can we do a lot of the same similar stuff but just make it look different so that was the first part of that soundbite that really stood out to me. The second part was one of Grinch's final lines, and I think he essentially confirmed on that play that we discussed a little bit on the last podcast in the first half when we were discussing our negatives of the first half whenever Baylor hit a big play on a swing pass to running back. They ended up setting up, I think, Baylor's first or second touchdown where Brendan Radley-Hiles blitzed off the edge, and I wasn't sure if he was supposed to continue going for the quarterback and somebody else was supposed to get the running back or if he was supposed to peel out and pick up the running back. And then we saw the replay afterwards and then the shot of Alex Grinch and Radley-Hiles talking, and you brought up the point that it looked like Alex Grinch said, do your job. Well, in that soundbite we just listened to a little bit ago, Alex Grinch said or mentioned picking up a running back coming out of the backfield as as an example of a, a negative thing. And I think he was all but confirming that's what what we saw and that's basically what happened on that play is that Radley Hiles was supposed to to account for that running back. And that's why he was so wide open because Brendan Radley Hiles did not do his job. Did if, you pick uh, up on that? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um if Buki, if Buki would have followed the running back, I think Brewer would have picked up like ten or fifteen yards with his legs. <laughs> so I don't think they he had that play defended one, well at all. There was one other. I think it might have been Kenneth Murray who was kind of hanging out there too. That might have been responsible for Charlie Brewer. There was another linebacker there that that could have helped out, I believe. But yeah, you could have. But it was such an easy read and throw for Brewer. I asked Alex Grinch a question because later on in the the media scrum, you know, he was asked about 
playing so well in the second half and why that was and why he thought the defense was able to do uh, do so well and you know, force those takeaways and get those three and outs and Grinch brought up the fact that you know I mean it's you kind of have your it's uh, he didn't say backs against the wall he, he used a different form of that phrase and just there's you kind of have to because no one's going to bail you out you know, he did mention there's no 25 point takeaway but you just got to keep doing your job and you, you got to play really well so to me the logical question is well make sure that you don't not necessarily question but as a team, wouldn't you want to make sure that you don't put yourself in that position to where you're down by 25 points in the second half? So therefore, how can you come out in the first half and have that kind of mentality to where you play stingy defense and you're focused and you don't give up big plays and you don't give up points? And Grinch also said that, yeah, in a perfect world, I'd love to have those guys come out, snap number one, and have that sort of mentality. So I was kind of curious about the approach to that, if that's possible to prepare for that. And so here's my question to Alex Grinch. You know, that back is against the wall mentality that you mentioned, uh, that uh, they focus really well and play well in the second half. And you talked about how you want that right away if you can. Is that something that can be practiced during the week? Or is that something you just have to go through in the game? Or, I mean, how do you get better at that if possible well I, I think I think the answer is yes on both accounts I think you can practice it to a point I, I think when the you know the, the um, when it gets when it gets hairy out there and there's there's you know the, the national TV audience the, you know, whatever it is that you 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 need to be as an elite competitor at this level you got to be able to, to you know really really put the blinders on and say I'm, I'm gonna focus what, what I did on Tuesday is gonna be enough to to, sure. to, to execute on Saturday um, and and so you so put them in those situations of practice as best you can. You try to okay. create those scenarios. However, you know you, you, it, it's, it's, it always feels a little bit different on Saturday. That that, that, that touchdown in practice is a is a stern talking to by Coach Grinch as opposed to oh my God I just I just hurt my football team. But but you try to create again that that feeling that that emotion in, in practice. But um, no, we're going to week eleven. It's time. It's time to get past some of that stuff. Grant, I found that answer to be. Pretty good and pretty reassuring, actually, to me. I'm not sure how much you could hear again because yeah. the way we play. Okay, that's a good. Uh, did that's you a, like that's a really good answer. Like he, so he he's essentially saying you practice during the week, and we try to put them as many tough situations as possible during the week. So when you are in those tough situations, you're able to you know to reach back to you know what what did I do in practice. You know, what, what skills did I develop to help me through this situation? And that's, that's no different than really anything in life. That's why we prepare for things, right? And so... Um, and I like his acknowledgement, too, that, of course, it does feel a little bit different in practice, though, because you do make those mistakes in practice. It's just, hey, that was not good. You have Coach Grinch giving you a, quote, stern talking to. But then when the bright lights come on, and he mentioned that at the beginning of the soundbite about how, you know, it's national television audience and, you know, things feel obviously different in the game that you just really can't recreate that type of atmosphere and practice so I kind of like that acknowledgement of that and at the very very end where he essentially said no excuses like but listen we're 10 games into the season that that's we got to get better at that stuff so I was very satisfied with his answer to that question I have one more piece of sound to play talk to Delarian Turner yell a little bit and kind of asked him the same thing I asked Alex Grinch and then well you'll hear I'll play it, and then we'll react. That mentality that you all had in the second half, which produced you guys playing so well and getting them off the field so much, Coach Grinch was saying that, you know, he wants you guys to have that in the first snap of the game. I asked him if this is something that you guys can practice during the week, things like that. He said, yeah, he tries to put you guys in those situations, but 
from your perspective, what can you do to, from the first snap of the game, kind of play at that back against the wall mentality where maybe you don't get in a hole like that moving forward? Right. It's not necessarily playing at a back that like you're back against the wall. It's just starting fast and like I said, just doing the things that you're accustomed to. Like I said, whenever we do the things that we're accustomed to, we, we see the result that we get. So I don't see why we would uh, you know work to put ourselves in that type of situation just to get out of it. And whenever we do the things that we're accustomed to, we have a lot of success whenever we do. Lastly, for you, going into you know game eleven, I guess this is whenever hearing Kenneth last week talking about you know we got to focus, do our jobs better. You just talked about doing your jobs better in the second half. When you guys watch back tape and, and you kind of point out, hey, I'm, maybe I'm not doing my job. How does that happen this late in the year? Is it more of a mental thing? Is it a physical thing? I mean, just your estimation of it. Um, like Coach Green says all the time, <laughs> football is hard. I mean, you, you're going to make mistakes, and the biggest thing with us, we we have to just learn how to cut down on the mistakes and just go back to fall back to trusting on our coaches and um, I, I, I feel like maybe, maybe we're too amped up and we're forgetting you know things that we need to do but I feel like we just need to relax and just do the things that we're supposed to do all right a lot of stuff there Grant anything jump out to you mostly about that or was that pretty standard from Delaire and Turner yell for I did not hear any of that that okay. was all kind of a jumbled mess what was okay. the uh, what was the too long didn't read of his answer it was football is hard. Whenever jobs are not done this late in the year, it's because it comes down to football being difficult. And he acknowledged that they've got to continue to trust the coaching staff and play better. So kind of what you would expect. Here is my thought process of just asking questions like that to a player, to DeLaire and Turner Yell. I want them to know that it's not just the coaching staff that is wanting them to do their jobs. It's, it's the fans, obviously – us in the media listen I mean it's it shouldn't be that difficult to do your job and I want I wanted to kind of convey to a player that hey like I'm kind of curious this time of the year how do you not do your job (laughs) you know because I feel like you should kind of know what you're supposed to do on every single play at this point now and that's why I want to know if it was just a mental thing or sure physical mistakes happen maybe you slip up or you know you miss a tackle you know that happens but uh he you know, I think it's fair for him to say that football is hard because it is. And every single game is different. Every single play is different. So I wanted to get that out to Delarian Turner yell. And I guess I was satisfied with his answer on that as, uh, that as well. And I apologize that you can't hear it. Hopefully when people listen to this podcast, it, it'll be a little bit more clear. But uh, it was from my cell phone and I did not have a mic pointing at him. And there was talking going around me. So I apologize for the, the quality was not great. We All right, may have some, uh, I don't know if I should. We may have some really interesting developments in the college football playoff rankings. I was going to say, I got it on too. Let's not talk about it now. Let's save this college football playoff discussion. By the way, I mentioned at the start of the show, it's going to come out as we record. It is coming out right now, but um, I want to save it for later because I want to get into the TCU talk because I think you and I, we have a, a decent amount to say about the Horn Frogs, but at the same time, this might be one of our more our quicker breakdowns of the opposing team. So let's do it. The TCU offense versus the Oklahoma defense. That's where we're going to start. And it all starts with quarterback Max Duggan. I think he's a true dual threat quarterback, Grant, but it's pretty clear that he's a better runner than thrower, but he does throw the football quite a bit. 
And so the first question I have for you is, do you think that the key for the Oklahoma defense is simply to make Max Duggan beat you without scrambling? Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't... So when I watch Max Duggan play, I, I see some ability there for sure. I think he's a guy who may be a problem by the time he's, a, he's an upperclassman. Uh, because you see, you see the athleticism just kind of dripping off of him. He moves really well. Um, and really, when, when the ball leaves his hand, it doesn't like look terrible or anything. I mean, he, he's got some talent back there. Um, having that been said, he's, he's a really inconsistent passer. He really struggles with his accuracy sometimes to a, on, a, on a very great degree. Um, and so I, when I'm watching him, the entire time I'm basically thinking, yeah, I think the game plan here is take away his running ability and just kind of pray to God that he's not hot that day throwing the ball. Because he has, point. yeah, he has had instances this year where he's been hot throwing it. Say to your point, on the season, he's completing only 56% of his passes this year, which in 2019 for a quarterback is incredibly low, not particularly good. TCU, by the way, the last six games, it seems like TCU is playing some of its best football, but the Horned Frogs are only two and four during that span. Looking back at our game rewatch, our prep for this podcast, for me, it was mostly the Texas game. I watched him in that, and he was actually pretty good against Texas, aside from one really bad interception. He was 19-27, 273, a couple of touchdowns, and he had 72 yards on the ground running and added a touchdown as well. I see the same things you do with his inaccuracies. He has the ability. He actually has pretty good mechanics, and he's got decent pocket awareness as well, but he's certainly more along the lines of a Jalen Hurts when it comes to if it's not there, he wants to pull it down, and he does want to run. If he sees any sliver of daylight, he will pull it down, and he will run, and he's really good at it. He's fast. He's incredibly good, and so it'll certainly be up to that front seven of Oklahoma to stay gap-disciplined and not let him break contain and scramble. When they get, get hands on him, you got to bring him down. As far as the running game goes, aside from Max Duggan, to me it looks like it's more of a running back by committee this season with Darius Anderson and – is it – I can't remember if it's Siwu. Shewo Alunalua. It's Alunalua. Shewo Alunalua. His his first uh, name is pronounced Shewo. Really? Okay. And it's kind of like a thunder and lightning, to, for lack of a better term, when it comes to that. Uh, Anderson's more of the explosive back, and Alunalua is a, is a hoss. He's tough to bring down. I think Aaron Anderson has something like 20 more carries this year than Alunalua. And certainly more yards. He's averaging almost six yards per carry. But I think they complement each other pretty well. They each have six touchdowns on the ground. And so they are capable of breaking plays, obviously, whenever you're considering that Max Duggan can run as well. And so this is a running game. Everything starts with a running game with TCU, which is not surprising. And I think Sonny Cumbie is getting a lot more comfortable calling plays for Max Duggan right now because he's – a lot more entrenched and he's getting a lot more experience and and so that's how the running game what have you seen from the running backs I you know they look there's nothing particularly uh, they're not I wouldn't say they're special but they're not bad I mean Darius Anderson's been there forever I, mean, you know, I think they're solid player. I think they're solid I mean they and they play off each other pretty well Darius Anderson is more of their home run threat um, you know hasn't been a ton of space to run this year 
Um, I would I would probably classify TCU's offensive line in the bad category. They've really struggled there, actually. Um, and Shewo is uh, he's he's kind of a bowling ball. He's a guy who's probably going to be difficult to tackle between the tackles. So um, I really I look at TCU's offensive personnel, and it's really not terrible at all when you watch them. They're athletic. Um, they do struggle up front. It, it really is. It, they are just it, if if Max Duggan is playing well, they move it well. And when he's when he's not playing well, they they really struggle. They really bog down. And um, a lot of instances this year where their offense has just has just gone into the tank, really. And it's typically when when Duggan is making bad decisions or turning it over. Um, I notice in a lot of games sometimes he's um, or at times he's been kind of. Uh, kind of hesitant to push the ball downfield. Sometimes when he does, there's some bad results for him, um, especially against Baylor. He was he was checking down a lot. Um, but really, I, I think the thing that scares you the most about him is when he gets in the open field. His athletic ability is really apparent, and I think you just got to turn on that Kansas State film to see that touchdown run that he had, which is <laughs> yeah. really one of the better runs I've ever seen for a quarterback. Um, I mean, I... Him going up against OU's secondary in the open field kind of scares me a little bit, which I think it's which so that's why I think it's really important for OU's front seven slash front six to really keep an eye out of him, and and I hope that's a big part of their game plan. I asked Marquez Overton on Monday about facing Max Duggan and if it's beneficial that this is going to be the fourth game in a row that Oklahoma has seen a mobile quarterback that can run, so at least Oklahoma was not going to be surprised. And we'll experience going up against, you know, guys like Purdy and players lastly like Brewer and then obviously Skylar Thompson, if that helps. And Overton was pretty standard. He said, quote, we just need to penetrate gaps like we're told and execute. So didn't give me much there when it came to uh, stopping the quarterback run game. But the rushing game, the running game is certainly TCU's strength on offense. They're a top 25 team in the country running the ball uh, just behind OU and OSU and the Big 12 running the ball. So the running game, that's their bread and butter. If Oklahoma can slow down TCU's run game, obviously that'll be a huge key to to winning this football game and and getting off the field. When it comes to throwing the football, everyone knows about Jalen Rager. Although his stats in this offense are not going to blow you away. Only 36 catches this year, has five touchdowns. You know, Rager, you're talking to me you know, before this podcast. You you really wish Jalen Rager had a had a quarterback or an offense that could give him the ball because you you're pretty impressed by this guy. Yeah, I think he's going to be a star in the NFL. Uh, he's he's really good. Um, I I don't only 36 catches this year. I'm really surprised they haven't come up with a little more creative ways to get him the ball. Um, but I mean, you just see his ball scare, his ball skills when the ball is in the air are. I mean, I I don't know if there's anyone better in the country than him. I, I'm sure you could come up with someone, but he's just a really impressive player. And um, I know he was a guy. He 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 was down to OU and TCU and recruiting. And I I, I still I've thought of the last couple of years. I, I don't have I have no idea why he went to TCU and not here. I, I just. Hmm. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. We've gotten to the point now where it's like if you're, and of course, human beings are human beings, and people make different decisions for different reasons. But I guess I don't know. I I'd I'd be curious to see what his mind is like right now. If, if wonder if he'd rather be at OU. 
Maybe. <laughs> I mean, they must have done a great job recruiting him, bringing him in. He's a Texas kid, right? He's from that state. I can't remember where he's from, but as far yeah, he's as like, from what city, a, uh, but... he's from, is it Wakahatchee? That, uh, uh, Waxahachie. Third... Okay, thank you. Let's see. Uh, aside from Jalen Rager, I noticed on tape, uh, Tay Barber is their next best guy catching passes. He's pretty solid. He's a quick guy. Uh, in the Texas game, I think he led the he led them in receiving against Texas. Jalen Rager did. Noah Rager did have a touchdown. And then also look out for big tight end. His name is Pro Wells, and he's a red zone target. Had a touchdown against Texas that I saw. Uh, horrible coverage by Texas on the play. On third and 17, they allowed him to run a deep post for a touchdown. But this Pro Wells guy, big tight end, has got five touchdowns this year. So uh, not surprising. He's got a big body. I'm sure he can go up there and make plays in the red zone. That's what I saw from TCU's offense on tape. The question, let's see, what else do you have on, on TCU's offense? Do you have anything on Tay Barber or Pro Wells? Did they, did they jump off the tape, or did you notice them on tape in the games that you watched? Honestly, not really. Their receivers haven't gotten a ton of opportunities this year, Rel like relatively speaking. Sure, sure. I will say that in that Texas game, and again, that was – one of those games where you and I thought it was a slam dunk pick for Texas, and it was really frustrating watching that game back because that was kind of TCU's coming out party, and although TCU hasn't done a whole lot since then, TCU's playing some of its best football, but there was a, a deep shot to Tay Barber by Max Duggan that set up TCU's tying touchdown in the third quarter where Texas only rushed three, and Duggan had plenty of time to set his feet and throw deep, and he threw a perfect ball, and that just kind of kind of plays to the inconsistency of him is that he has that ability to make those big plays but uh it's just again it's you know 56 percent completions it's not always there and late in the game he went to Tay Barber as well on third and 14 when it was only a, a three-point game and Texas had a zero blitz on and Duggan had everybody in his face and just threw it up and it was more of a great play by Barber who turned and made the play inside the Texas 10-yard line that set up a first and goal, and TCU scored to ice the game away on the next play. So those two guys have made some plays along with Jalen Rager in the uh, in the TCU passing game. Let's flip the script back – not back. Let's flip the script over to TCU's defense against Oklahoma's offense. And maybe some of the biggest news that we should start with is that Jeff Gladney, really good cornerback for TCU, TCU's best corner, is going to miss the first half – because he was ejected for targeting against Texas Tech last week. And in that Texas game, watching, he was all over Colin Johnson, the big receiver on the outside. Devin Duvernay still got a decent amount of stuff on the inside, but Gladney did a nice, nice job against Colin Johnson. And what other game was I watching where Gladney was shadowing somebody? Who, man. I can't remember if it was, was it the Tech game? No, Baylor. He was shadowing Denzel Mims against Baylor, too. So, uh, Gladney is one of those players that you would anticipate if C.D. Lamb does play that he would have been on C.D. Lamb for the entirety of the game, but Oklahoma gets a bit of a break there, Grant, with Gladney out in the first half. Oh, yeah, I'll take that all day long, for sure. Um, probably him, and it's between him and Garrett Wallow for the best player on TCU's defense. Um, and so, and also, like, when, when I watch TCU, they've, uh, they've been more susceptible this year in the air than they have been on the ground largely and so when you take away their best defensive back and presumably with cd lamb coming back 
Um, maybe an opportunity there for OU to maybe throw some haymakers in the first half. That's what I would like to see happen. Make it so that, you know, when Gladney comes back, it doesn't even really matter that much. Um, of course, that's everybody's that's everybody's dream in that scenario. But sure, I mean, that absolutely hurts TCU. I mean, that's that's going to hurt what they can do on the back end. Julius Lewis still there, the other cornerback on the other side. He was a, a pro football focused darling coming into the year. I'm not so sure how good of a year he's having this season. I didn't notice him much at all. I actually didn't notice him at all in that Texas game that I watched back. So uh, he's a good player, though. In the secondary, you know, TCU always plays. Seems like they play with five defensive backs a lot of the time. Uh, Trevon Morig or Trayvon Morig is a player that has stood out for them late in the year. He had a nice play against Texas, but I haven't seen him do a whole lot in the other games I've watched. Did he do anything in your eyes in the, some of the games that you watched? Because I've heard his name get thrown around a lot with TCU as far as some of their better players. No, not really. I, the, the, guy who, the guy who stood out to me the most while watching their defense is Garrett Wallow. Uh, he just runs around a lot, is a good tackler, sure tackler. Ross Blacklock is their best defensive lineman. Um, I I just, I, I don't know. I don't think TCU's defense is as impressive this year as they have been in years past. Um, they are big I, up front with Blacklock and Corey Bethley. Those guys are hosses, and yeah, they're, they're going to be players. a challenge for the they're good yeah, players. I don't, line. They're, they're definitely not better up front than Iowa State and Baylor is, though. In fact, I think Kansas State's probably better up front than TCU is, too. I don't know about that. And you know why I don't know about that? Because teams still are not being, not being able to run the ball very well against TCU. And that just shows you that they got to be doing something well up front to prevent all these I mean, teams but the from teams, running against them. The teams that run the ball well, though, have been able to run it on them. Like uh, Oklahoma State ran for nearly 400 yards on them, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's been the only team this year that has really been able to run the ball on Iowa State TCU. ran it on them, didn't they, without Brees Hall? I think they it was more Brock Purdy beat him through the air. I know I know Purdy I know I know Purdy averaged like ten yards of completion in that game, but um, yeah I I I don't know so yeah I I, and TCU's defense is not bad I'm just I'm just saying there this is TCU's defense is not as good as it has been in years past. The thing with Oklahoma State is too a huge chunk of those yardage and it all counts were on explosive run plays by Chuba Hubbard and I think they. This is the first time ever. I can't he remember was what the untouched on was. both of them, too. Yeah, it was the most yards, I think, allowed by a Gary Patterson team. or so, It was something like that. But more, most rushing First yards. time that Gary Patterson, a Gary Patterson coach team, has ever given up a 200-yard rusher. Okay. Nice. Which I nice. found so, kind of, which, which I thought Rodney Anderson ran for 200 against them two years ago, but I guess not. He might have had, you know, he had like, from scrimmage. He had, a lot he had of, like over 400 yards, yards from too. scrimmage, yeah, but... So you were kind of this next question I had was how good is this TCU defense compared to Baylor and I would say you kind of already answered it not as good we, we were we were discussing the Baylor defense the other day and you think it's one of the best in the country and I was pushing back and I forgot I think Baylor is, is is a top ten defense in the in the country yeah I forgot another team that had success against Baylor's defense too is Texas Tech and Texas Tech has had success against Baylor's defense and then after the first half against TCU had success against TCU's defense too so I think Jet Duffy is probably developing pretty well under Matt Wells. He is getting, I, turning into a pretty darn good quarterback. Can I can I just go back and explain why I think Baylor has a top 10 defense in the country? Um sure. just I and I'm just going to use the OU game as an example. OU Lee right now is averaging about 8.7 yards per play. Um that would break the NCAA record that OU set last season. Um 
OU needed 95 plays to score 34 points against Baylor. That is that is that is an incredibly per, uh, impressive defensive performance, no matter how you cut it. And my rebuttal to that would be Oklahoma's defense the last three weeks has just not been the same. It does not look like the same defense that we saw the first seven games, with the exception of the first half against Iowa State, where Wait, Lincoln Riley said What does, what does said OU's that, defense have anything to do with Baylor's defense? I'm saying that it's not like Oklahoma's defense was firing on all cylinders leading into that game. That's what I'm saying. So it's not like Baylor shut down this Oklahoma def- or offense that was just going at breakneck speed and being awesome. I mean, they were coming off seven points in the second half against Iowa State, and then it continued. I mean, they into were the coming off against Baylor. They were coming off uh, games where they in back-to-back games they scored forty-one and forty-two points. They averaged nine and a half yards per play against Kansas State, about seven and a half yards per play against Iowa State. Going up against what statistically was the best defense, uh, Baylor in the Big Twelve last week. I, I don't. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I, I just. I watched I watched Baylor play defense for a full game. They're incredibly they're incredibly impressive. I watched a lot of college football this year. There are not there are not ten defenses better than that defense in college football. There just aren't. Yeah, no, I think I think you have a good argument. I, I'm just I'm not I'm trying not to overreact to one game. It's not just I, one game. I've seen a lot of Baylor this year. They've been really good. And, yeah, and but that was, that, I mean, and Texas that was the Tech best they played a, defensively Tech, in that half. Texas that Tech play had less than six yards per play against Baylor in that game. It's not like they got shredded or anything. Well, no. No, they're not, the defense is not getting shredded. I mean, that was the best they played in a half all year, and I had not seen that. I mean, when I watched them against you know, TCU, there was some plays where TCU just left on the field that, that they uh, – I mean, TCU had a drop touchdown pass on the first drive against Baylor. Uh, yeah, so – Anyways, I I think it's a it's an interesting argument. We'll see. I'm curious to see how how they do against Texas's offense. Texas's offense all of a sudden isn't very good, anyways, right now either. That I think they're gonna not, they're gonna yeah. be fine against Texas's offense because Texas is not gonna be able to block their front. Yeah, and yeah, they should be. And they Baylor be is essentially playing the Iowa State defense right now, and they're playing it faster, and they have more talented players up front. So I I mean. Give Matt Rule and that defensive coaching staff a ton of credit. Baylor's defense, made up with pretty much the exact same personnel, was a total sieve last year. They were bad. They were terrible. Mm-hmm. And this year, they, they've completely turned it around. I, I, that's, that's a really impressive defense. you got to give Phil Snow all the credit. He's the defensive coordinator, right? That guy must have done something yeah, incredibly different yeah. and, and also evolved I, and changed. Good for him. I, I went back it and rewatched. a lot of... Let's say it helps that he's got a lot of veteran players on that team too. Yeah, even I mean, though they weren't very good, they have a lot of players that are comfortable and know how to play college football. Exactly. They and this is this is a clear example of a bunch of guys who have just played a lot of college football. They're comfortable in the scheme, and it's what Alex Grinch talks about all the time. They're comfortable in the scheme. They don't have to think, and they can just attack and play fast. And that's exactly what Baylor looked like. Um, and James Lynch, it doesn't it, you know it doesn't hurt that James Lynch is a good player. Um, rewatching the game. James Lynch had had a really good game um, defending the run. He didn't make a huge impact in, in terms of uh, in terms of rushing the passer at all. Uh, but there there were a lot of plays that he completely blew up by himself in the run game. So I, I did want to mention that. The last thing I have on TCU's defense is just some examples from the Texas game that I think Oklahoma could potentially take advantage of that I saw TCU's defense struggle against. 
And with TCU's defense, you're going to see a lot of two-man. You're going to see some quarters. You're going to see a lot of the two-high-safety look. And it seems like every once in a while, too, and, and more than every once in a while, maybe, Gary Patterson, He's it's a difficult defense because half of the field likes to do one thing while the other half of the field likes to do another thing. For example, it seems like to the boundary, they'll play quarters coverage and then to the field sometimes on two-by-two sets. They'll play two-man. And that's got to be incredibly confusing, I would expect for some of the defensive players maybe it's not though maybe Gary Patterson's so good at explaining it to him but anyways I noticed that there was a moment and you talked about this I can't remember if you mentioned this on air or off air but Texas or I'm sorry TCU does give up some big plays and there was a moment in the second quarter against TCU versus Texas where Texas had the football and I saw TCU playing two man and Keontae Ingram ran a real ran a wheel route out of the backfield to the boundary and nobody accounted for him and it was the easiest touchdown pass for Sam Ellinger. And it was out of a two-by-two two formation. They ran, Texas that is, ran Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay on double posts to clear out that space for Ingham to run into. And the middle linebacker had a delay blitz on. Didn't even think to cover Keontae Ingram. Maybe he was even spying Ellinger and nobody was co- covering Ingram. So I think the result of that is showing that TCU, on the outsides, likes to play a lot of man coverage. So... There could be some opportunities to get the football to running backs in space out of the backfield and also some opportunities to get running backs matched up with linebackers, which we saw Oklahoma take advantage of quite a bit a couple of years ago with Baker Mayfield and Rodney Anderson with, you know, Anderson had like what, two, two receiving touchdowns or at least one uh, just catching the ball out of the backfield. So I wonder if, if that's still there in this TCU defense, a bit of a weakness as well. Let's see. And I also, too, I wanted to mention this. This is the last thing I have on TCU's defense. It was one of Sam Ellinger's interceptions in that game. It was a tie game in the third quarter. TCU shows two-man, but then they end up playing quarters to the boundary and two-man to the field, and nobody is accounting for Sam Ellinger. And I saw that throughout that game. It seemed like Gary Patterson did not put a spy on Ellinger at all, and for some reason, Sam didn't run until the very end of the game. And on that play, Sam Ellinger steps up, has his eyes down the field, and throws an interception to the quarter's safety. Ellinger had 15 yards easy if he would have just pulled the ball down and ran it. And I think it it might have been one of those things where he is still trying to prove that he can throw the football and he's not just a running quarterback or he's more of a pocket passer. And he had a wide-open lane to run it, and he should have run it. That was the right play because everybody was covered. And I think evidence suggests what we've seen this year. If Jalen Hurts is given that situation, that opportunity – he's going to pull it down and run the ball for the first down and probably get more because Jalen Hurts still, even though he had a a great second half staying in the pocket and surveying and throwing to the right players, if there's any sort of crease or running room, he does like to pull it down. And if for some reason TCU doesn't account for him, which I expect Gary Patterson to do that because we saw against Charlie Brewer, he did that a lot more, spied Brewer quite a bit. But for for whatever reason, there's going to be opportunities, I think, where they don't account for Jalen Hurts, and he might have an opportunity to have some nice quarterback runs. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge takeaway from watching TCU. There's There's only so many plays you can watch them being burned by opposing quarterbacks on the ground. And, you know, it's that's obviously going to be a big a big part of OU's game plan, like like it has in every single game this year. So. Um, and, and I got I got to think TCU is going to come into this game thinking, yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be the the focal point of our defensive game plan as well, stopping Jalen Hurts. But of course, the problem that presents is that OU's got a whole bunch of other guys that can kill you as well. So uh, really, I mean, really difficult, really difficult task for Gary Patterson and his staff this week. 
you go back to the Iowa State game, you talked about how Iowa State running the ball. It actually, it wasn't Iowa State's running backs against TCU. It was Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy had 12 carries for 102 yards, two touchdowns in that game. You go to the Texas game. Ellinger very rarely ran the ball. He should have ran it more. He had nine carries for 43 yards. Skylar Thompson, 10 for 68 and a touchdown. And I had the Oklahoma State box score up, but I got out of it. But I know that Spencer Sanders, here we go. Spencer Sanders, 19 for 88 in the game. And that was a big reason why I think Chuba Hubbard was able to have such a good game because TCU had to account for Spencer Sanders running too. The quarterback run game is a big a big thing that has a lot of success against TCU this season. And Oklahoma has had a ton of success with the quarterback run game. TCU knows that. That's the matchup, I think. How will that play out? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's I, I'm pretty fascinated to see how that plays out. Okay, I'll begin with this next segment, Grant. What we want to see happen in this game. Defensively, I want to see Duggan contained. Grinch said after the game on Saturday that the amount of get-out-of-jail-free moments for Charlie Brewer was was limited after halftime last Saturday. So obviously that needs to be limited against Max Duggan. So it's on that front seven to stay gap sound, stay smart, and tackle that guy whenever you get your hands on him. Secondary, don't get beat deep. I saw Texas Tech let Jalen Rager get behind them for a long touchdown in that Texas game. I saw the Longhorn secondary let Rager get behind them for a really easy touchdown. Also, I mentioned that touchdown pass to Pro Wells in that Texas game. I don't want to see Max Duggan get chances to throw the ball deep to wide open players because I've seen that a couple of times this year. And obviously, that's incredibly easy on that guy because he's not a high level throw of the football. So don't get beat deep. Keep everything in front of you. On offense, you know, test out Gary Patterson's approach on defending Jalen Hurts. Again, I assume that there'll be a spy a decent amount of the time, but Gary Patterson, he loves to mix man and mix zone principles. And I think with those man principles, there could be a result of big quarterback run plays here and there. So Oklahoma can hit some of those plays at the right time. So I'm, I'll be curious to see how that whole thing is how that whole thing is defended from TCU's perspective. I think it's going to be hard to run the football, though, on this TCU team. TCU is still good at stopping the run, uh, but if Oklahoma can get that quarterback run game going consistent, that'll open up more opportunities, I think, obviously, for Kennedy Brooks, Ramondre Stevenson. I you know, Maybe call some fake quarterback draws and then have Hurts throw it over top of those linebackers when they play up and play aggressive. Call some of those plays. I think that might have some success. And then, again, running backs out of the backfield, match them up on those linebackers. That's a huge advantage. Kennedy Brooks against any of those linebackers I think would be good. I want to see Jalen Hurst throw the football well. I think he'll need to put the ball into some small spaces in this game against the secondary. You know, Gladney missing the first half obviously is big, but even without him, I think this secondary plays pretty tight coverage a lot of the time. I want to see the sense of urgency on both sides of the ball. This is my last thing. Uh, the same kind of sense of urgency that we saw the last time out at home against Iowa State. That first half was mostly strong on both sides of the ball. I know there was a one or two bad defensive series, but for the most part, they got to halftime against a really good Iowa State team up by three touchdowns. So I want to see that first half urgency. If Oklahoma gets out to a lead, for the love of God, do not let up at this point. Everybody in Norman, everybody at that campus knows that style points are a must if Oklahoma actually does want to make some kind of a playoff push. And then I do have a kind of a bonus one, too. 
Fans, going to the game. Stay in your seats deep into the fourth quarter. The only reason I would potentially excuse you is if somehow Oklahoma was blowing TCU out by five or six touchdowns. But still, even then, this is the last home game. It's senior night. The weather's not going to be all that bad. Probably in like the low to mid-30s, a little bit of wind, not a big deal. Bring a jacket. Bring some gloves. You'll be comfortable. Stay in your seats. Lincoln Riley called everybody out with not without calling them out a week ago. So stay in your seats. That's what I want to see happen. Grant, what about you? So, Lee, I, I disagree with you in terms of the run game here. I think OU has a window here to be really successful on the ground in this game. And it mostly stems from I don't think TCU's defensive ends are that good, and I don't think they're I don't think they've been that good on the edge this year, or as like as much as they have been in the past. So like I I like you know the 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 play that they ran, uh, kind of like the midline option, the play that they ran uh, to Kennedy Brooks in the fourth quarter where he broke off his thirty plus yard run. I think that can be really successful against TCU in this game, um, just because I, I I think they have really struggled to contain the edge all season long, and you know when they when you do add that little extra, that the thing in the back of their mind, hey, the quarterback could keep it, that's when they've really struggled. Um, and OU has that in spades, obviously. So I, I think OU can run the ball and run the ball a lot in this game and have a lot of success. So I would like to see that. Um, just because I, and I also want to see the offensive line just you know continue to take a step. The offensive line played really well in the second half of the game on Saturday. And uh, which is good to see because R.J. Proctor played a, a vast majority of it. And um, if R.J. Proctor is, you know, is out earning Eric Swenson in snaps and practice and whatnot, I'd like to see Proctor get more reps, you know, and, and, and get better and, and have, you know, the, um, the, the continuity with the offensive line. So I think that's a big deal. Um, C.D. Lamb, when he's back, when you do throw the ball, I want you to feed the ball to C.D. Lamb. Um, like I said earlier this, this year, once you get to championship November, you do need to rely on your stars. CeeDee Lamb's going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Get him the ball, especially with Jeff Gladney on in there. Um, on defensively, I, I I desperately want to see them um, set the edge. Um, Baylor didn't really test them that much in that regard, uh, which I thought was kind of surprising. Um, TCU does not really throw a lot of motion at you pre-snap. Um, so hopefully that makes things a little easier on the defense. I really want them to, uh, in practice this week, to make an effort to, to to figure out the problems they have setting the edge, especially on those little quarterback sweeps and, and speed option plays, because I did notice that TCU has gone to that at, at times this year. So when they get down to the goal line, if they ever do, uh, that is going to be in their bag of tricks. And of course, OU has not stopped that a single time this season. Um, and so I, I would really like them to figure that out. And um, I, I just I would like to see the same mentality that they had on defense in the second half of that Baylor game. Um, I, I this this just came to me. How crazy is it that Nick Benito was in the perfect spot to make a play in two consecutive plays? Um, how, when has that happened this season? And so I, I'm hoping that's a sign of good things to come. Um, and most of all, I, I'd like to see them assert dominance. This is a TCU team that's been kind of Jekyll and Hyde. They put some really good football on tape. Um, but also they're they're limited and and they're limited in the trenches this year more so than they have been in the past. I'd like to see OU leverage those advantages and uh, and end this one pretty early. All right, now it's time to talk about what will happen. And just like the last couple of weeks, not going to give you a score, going to give you more of a half-hearted prediction because Oklahoma still to me is a pretty inconsistent Jekyll and Hyde type team. 
I'm going to say that Oklahoma does win this game, but the 19 points, it's a 19-point spread right now. That's To me, that's too many with the way Oklahoma's defense has been playing recently. Is it possible the second half versus Baylor propels this unit to having a lot more success against a TCU team that has an okay offense, an offense that can be explosive at times, but for the most part is just average? Yeah, sure, but... It was just two quarters against Baylor, and a lot of the time the offense was on the field, so Oklahoma's defense was very well rested and wasn't asked to to play a lot of snaps in that second half. The past 12 quarters in full for Oklahoma defensive football has produced at least six to eight, I think, poor quarters. So I think it's a small sample size of great in that second half against Baylor. As for the Frogs, They've only been blown out once this year at Iowa State back on October the 5th. And TCU, I think I've mentioned this earlier, is only two and four since then. But I think for whatever reason, Gary Patterson seems to have this team playing some of their best football of the season. And on offense, I think Sonny Cumbie, the offensive coordinator, is, is starting to get more and more comfortable calling plays for Max Duggan. So I say take the Sooners on the money line. But if I had to bet the side of this game, I think I'd grab TCU plus those points. Grant what will happen according to you feeling uh, feeling about uh, being a little more positive this week um i I'm, I'm choosing to believe that they that they've turned the corner after that second half against baylor um and we're about to talk we're going to talk about this in a minute or so once they see those college football playoff rankings i am betting that they're going to come out fired up trying to make a statement i think they are going to cover that 19 point number Lee. i like ou to win this game 48 to 17 boy so you're gonna, th- so just like Iowa State was able to find a way to blow them out, you think Oklahoma can blow them out too? All right. Yeah, Same I mean, Iowa they, State's Iowa State's defense has always been consistent, and solid. You're thinking Oklahoma's defense is going to figure it out then? I'm yeah, that's what I'm. I'm choosing to go the positive route. Although, like, of, of course, it's completely defensible if you want to, you know, if you want to say they're going to struggle a little bit. Of course, um, if 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 you don't think you know, 16 plays and and two quarters of good football against Baylor is enough for you. Totally defensible. That's fine. I just uh, at this point in time in the season, I'm, I'm choosing to to believe that this team has turned the corner, and we're going to see uh, more of the team that we saw in September and, and the early parts of October. Okay, let's move on to the Big Twelve real quickly. Hold on, let's see how should we do this as we do the rest of the show? Should we go over the rankings or talk just quick? Here's no, the thing with big- the playoff rankings: they're awful. So I don't know how much we want to get into them. Um, but they are very incorrect. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, you think you just have the, like, your take on it is just the number one right take on everything, isn't it? Like, I, I haven't even had a chance to look at them yet. All right, let me. Who does? There we well, go. I'm. I am more than. I'm. I'm more than happy to hear like logical counters to what I'm about to say, but I'm. Nobody's going to be able to come up with anything. Okay, so by the time you listen to this podcast, you all know the rankings. But for the sake of well, actually, for my sake, so I can kind of get my thoughts straight, I'll go 10 through 9, the top 10. Number 10 is Minnesota. Minnesota drops from 8 to 10 after that loss to Iowa. OU comes in at number 9, so the Sooners jump up a spot from 10 to 9 after that come from behind one over Baylor. Penn State jumps up to number 8, and then 7 through 1 looks like it's exactly the same. So Utah, 7, Oregon, 6, Alabama, 5, Georgia, 4, Clemson three, Ohio State two, and LSU one. My immediate reaction to this is I was hoping Oklahoma would be eight, mainly because 
Penn State to me is not incredibly impressive. And I thought they would come out and play a lot better against Indiana. And Indiana pushed them pretty, pretty good. And I kind of was hoping Oklahoma would, they would think, ah, Penn State's kind of a pretender. And even though Oklahoma struggled for the first half, that was a pretty gutty win. We'll, we'll give Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt and put them up an extra spot. But I'm not that surprised to see Oklahoma at nine, at Penn State at eight. And then, you know, Alabama at five, I get, th- I get that because Alabama still won in blowout fashion, even with Tua out. They'll let Alabama do its thing. I mean, I, I'm on the record. I think Alabama's out of the playoff. I don't think they're going to make it. So I, I just don't – unless crazy things happen and a bunch of two lost teams are – are eligible so I, I don't think it's really worth it to even talk about Alabama and you can't I mean Georgia at four was you could make the argument they shouldn't have been at four before but Georgia did a nice job and beating Auburn everyone thought Auburn was going to win that game or at least cover I think a lot of the sharps run Auburn so yeah I just don't there's no reason to get that worked up I don't think about this top 10 I don't understand why you'd say that's Seriously? completely wrong yeah I just I don't where Oregon and Utah are completely indefensible completely indefensible why? What on what on earth is Oregon's resume other than they lost to Auburn? I'm looking at their schedule right now. Yeah. Okay. What yeah, on I earth mean, is their know. resume? I don't think they're going to play each other coming up here if they went out. Okay, but okay. knocked off. What about Utah? Utah doesn't have a single win over a ranked team. The entire pack the entire Pac-12 has one win over a top 20 team and it's USC. USC is the team with that win. Okay, I, I mean... Like, how on earth... Like, Utah is actually the most indefensible. How on earth is Utah ahead of Baylor? How? Let's see. See, Oh, Baylor, by the way, is at 14. So Baylor dropped one spot from 13 to 14. See, look at Utah's schedule. I mean, they beat Arizona State at the time. Arizona State's turned into a pretty mediocre team. Arizona State's 5-5. Five and five. I think they're 5-6. and six. They're five, five and five. Yeah, I mean, they didn't play much of an out-of-conference Utah's schedule Utah's best either. win is at Washington, a game that they got outplayed and were lucky to win. Uh, Oregon's best win is also at Washington, a game they got outplayed and were lucky to win. Okay, okay, calm down. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, Oregon or both Oregon and Utah looked awesome this past week. It's hard to argue dropping them after they both took care of business and dominated against lesser teams this week. I guess, but I guess I just don't understand what, what what is the criteria they're using. OU has OU has two wins against teams in this poll because Iowa State is number twenty two now, and they also have a road win against Baylor. Uh, Oregon does Oregon has a single win against a team in this uh, in this pool, and that's USC, and they did win by thirty. So you give them credit for that. That's fine. Utah doesn't have a single win over a team in this poll. How on earth are they ahead of Baylor? How? I guess to me, it's that's you know if those two teams end up winning out, they're going to play each other, so one of them will get knocked off. And yeah, I suppose the reason why you're mad is the thought process is if one of those two teams wins out, there's not going to be any sort of justification to jump Oklahoma ahead of them. None. But I I disagree with that because we've seen it happen before. We've seen teams jump other teams, and who are they going to play in? Who would that you know the Pac-12 Utah Oregon play in that title game? Each other. I'm sorry, yeah, each other. Okay. They're going to yeah. play each other. So sorry, here's, yeah, here's my I big just... problem with it. Here's my big problem. Oregon, and, and, and Oregon is, is about to play in back-to-back weeks in the season. They're going to play Arizona State and Oregon State. Both of those teams are 5-5 five and five right now. Um, 
and then they'll play a they'll, they play presumably an eleven and one Utah in the Pac twelve championship game. Utah they play two three win teams to finish the season. They don't play Utah's strength of schedule is non existent. They haven't played anybody this year, exactly like Baylor. Why on earth is Utah ahead of Baylor? So Oregon is going to get credit for a win over what's probably going to be a number six Utah at that point, just because the committee feels like that they're better than Baylor. That's it. Yeah, it, yeah. Baylor being that low, that's Lee. This this is why I'm this is why I'm upset. This OU is yeah, but, they might oh be well. done. Like this is, but but they're not. But Oklahoma's not done, and. If Oregon if, or Utah went out, I don't, I don't know if OU can jump them with this. Maybe they can't, but like I said last podcast, this isn't a national championship team anyways. So, I mean, they've already they, they had an opportunity fine. to and make a huge statement against that's Baylor, a totally, and they couldn't do it. That's a totally fine argument, but then you're going to have to explain to me what Oregon has done to, to say that they're national championship quality because eh, they haven't done uh, a damn thing to prove that. I just I – I don't understand why you're so – fired up about it it's just there's still games to play out I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal if Oklahoma looks really good against TCU and then looks really good against Oklahoma State and then looks really good in the Big 12 title game who's to say they can't jump people they I'm sure they can. can yeah but then you're I I mean you, you don't understand my argument like at all no I do I do understand your argument I just I am not that concerned about it because I think a lot of this is based off of just chatter and getting people to talk about it but okay so big of a deal okay well answer me this why is why is utah ahead of penn state because utah was already ahead of penn state they have the exact same record penn state has wins over i think they have two wins over teams in the in in the in the rankings well we're not watching this right now i mean obviously we're doing the podcast so i mean i i have i have not watched one of these shows since the playoffs come out i have not heard one word of the the commissioner or the committee chair, I, I, I don't care. None of it means nothing to me. Penn State has played so one of the five most a- difficult schedules in college football. They have a road win over number 17, Iowa, and a home win over number 13, Michigan. Well, what is, Utah okay, does not fine. have a single win, does not have a single win over a team in these rankings, and they've played one of the easiest schedules in college football. How on earth, how on earth can you justify Utah being ahead of Penn State? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm sure the committee chair has his justification of it. If I chose to watch and listen to what he said, which it sounds like you need to listen and watch and figure out what he said, and then use that and see if it's a good argument. I don't know, but who cares? It doesn't matter right now. It all it all depends on what happens in the next few weeks. So yeah, I I get why Oklahoma didn't jump up more, but. It's I'm fun. upset I mean, because opportunities. I'm upset because Oregon and Utah are artificially number six and seven. They've done nothing to deserve it. That's why I'm upset. Maybe. And it's going. It's 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 looking at this point in time like it's going to keep OU out of the playoff, and it's completely subjective. And it's because they're just not impressed with Baylor, which is ludicrous. That I don't think that's why. <laughs> that's not why they're not impressed with Oklahoma. Oklahoma lost that game to Kansas State a couple of weeks ago, and they were somewhat sketchy down the stretch against Iowa State, who's that's we not, know is a good okay. team. Then okay, so does it matter they got that their, blow, their doors blown off in the first half against Baylor? And why doesn't it a, matter a that Oregon half? State was extremely sketchy against Washington State at home three weeks ago? Per S and P had like had less than a forty percent win expectancy at home against Washington State. 
Well, maybe because of the loss is better. It's not as bad of a loss. I don't know. That's that's ridiculous. It's just it's ridiculous. I don't think it's ridiculous. I don't think it's ridiculous. I think it's fine. I mean, you can't. You know what? Here's another. You can't thing make too. a rational argument for Oregon o- over Oklahoma and except just saying, "Ah, eh, we've watched them both play, and we think Oregon's better." Okay. And that's not their I mean, job. Well, isn't that part of the the creed of the college football playoff committee, which is they keep it subjective so that there can be that wiggle room, which is which is annoying. I'm not a big well, no, fan. No, I mean of it, their but... their creed is just the four best teams. That's it. But I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I maybe... think I think these rankings are completely indefensible. <laughs> I just I there's no reason to get that worked up over it. And I still think back to the very first college football playoff year when TCU was knocked out of the the playoff after the last week because they didn't play or they're like they because like it's it's not unprecedented for teams to get jumped and the eye test and you know you're making a statement that matters you know it's just it's happened before and another thing too which you're not going to like this at all you're going to get even more mad so I hesitate to even say it but I think another reason why there might be some little bit of extra juice on Oregon and Utah is because the Pac-12 has been left out of the playoff for, what, the last couple of years, through two, three years. So I'm sure they're trying to get them in there. Uh, that's another reason I guess, why yeah, there's, I just, there's no way there's going to be a two teams, like two. Th- sorry, go ahead. You, I know just, this, you just none of this makes sense. None, none of it makes sense. Oregon <laughs> and Utah play, and then the Pac-12 is better this year than it has been in the past. Uh, the, big, the Big 12 is, is absolutely a better conference than the Pac-12. And OU plays every team in that conference. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but we're also very biased. We watch more Big 12 games, and I'm sure that doesn't come across to, to everybody. I mean, you got to know, remember, too, that Joe Castiglione's on this committee, and that's going to help Oklahoma in some way, he shape, can't, or form. When they, whenever they talk about Oklahoma, he has to leave the room. It's no help whatsoever. Oh, it's I know he has to leave the room, but it's still Joe Castiglione. He's still part of the group. So That means, what? No. I, I just think it's important. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, in that case, then the the head of the play of the playoff committee is Oregon's AD. Well, there you go. That helps too. That helps too. I think they're the fact they're ADs and stuff are on this committee is so weird that there's people that are that close to these teams and these universities. But oh well. So I'm just upset because OU's win on Saturday night was a really really good win. I didn't get any freaking credit for it whatsoever. It's a it's a it's a way better win than anything that Utah or Oregon has done this year. Eh. I mean, it's a game going into the, Oklahoma. Either of those need teams. to make a big time statement. Neither of those they teams are going flat. into Waco at night and beating Baylor. They're just not. No, you don't know that. You don't know that at all. You don't know that at all. You think? I mean, Oregon's got a pretty good defense. So does Utah. Maybe they're able to slow it down and they don't get down twenty eight to three at one point. You know, I mean. It, I'm not comfortable saying that at all. And not to mention that Oregon has looked pretty dominant the past two games. And I'm not a big Utah guy, but boy, they beat the crap out of UCLA. So it's, I, I mean, mean I like Utah. Coming I, on I, late. I think Utah is better than Oregon, um, but we'll find we'll out. Find I mean, out. yeah, we're, we're going to find out, I guess in that sense, if you're an OU fan, you'll probably be want to be rooting for Utah because if they win the Pac-12, they will have pretty much no resume to speak of, but they currently have zero resume to speak of, and they're ahead of OU. So, that I mean, that's a problem. One last playoff thing that... I'm curious to get your take on this, because I think it's 
it's ridiculous, but maybe I'm just out to lunch on it. And this was something that I heard, forgive me, the other day, because, again, I enjoy Clay Travis's radio show, but when it comes to college football talk, he truly is unbearable because there's not an SEC homer like him, except for maybe Barrett Salee, who had a really ridiculous tweet earlier this week, I think Monday. You probably saw that tweet that everyone in Oklahoma territory was kind of eye-rolling, and I think Joel Klatt kind of eye-rolled. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? About Alabama and yeah. something with yeah. Mac Jones. and Yeah. So, but, uh, so the thought process of right now, if LSU, obviously LSU will probably win out. If, if LSU's in the, the SEC title game, the thought that no matter what happens in that game, that LSU is going to make the playoff even if they lose, I think that's a ridiculous thing to throw out there right now. Just because, because like, has there any precedent for that? Has there ever been an undefeated team in a conference championship game lose in the playoff era and then make no. the playoff? No, I don't think so either. Yeah, or yeah, like, sorry. So I think it's just the the height of hubris and SEC bias to just assume if LSU is undefeated going up against probably Georgia in that game that, oh, yeah, well, no matter what happens in this game or no, if Georgia wins this game, then oh, SEC is getting two in based on what? <laughs> That's a ridiculous thing to think. Like Clay, Clay was saying that, oh, should LSU just treat the SEC title game as a preseason scrimmage because they have nothing to gain from this? Like, heck, they don't. <laughs> Like, are you? I actually agree with this with that take. If LSU gets to the SEC championship twelve and zero, it's that game's meaningless to them. They'll definitely still get in, no matter what. It they'll be they'll be twelve and one. Man, I don't know. It a twelve and one non. You're right that there's no precedent for it, but like, I mean, they'd be twelve and one. They'd have that. They'd have that extra data point that they talk about. And I mean, they'd have wins over, geez, Alabama, Florida, Auburn, Texas. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I just I don't think the committee wants to put two teams from the same conference in. I really don't think they do. I don't think they want to do that. Well, but then, well, okay, yeah. Now you're just I mean, guessing they at, at human at human like. Well, yeah, but that's uh, what this whole thing is about. <laughs> that's what this is all about. <laughs> that's the problem. It's not supposed to be that. Yeah, but it is, and it's like the one thing that yeah, you can I guess actually. The, I guess yeah, the I can't. NCAA this is driving because, me insane. Like I just, this why? is so wrong. No, it's not. You're acting like this is a a crime against humanity. No, it's it's football. not a crime against humanity. It's just there's just no logic to it. There's zero logic to this poll. Uh, and my response, as always, is it doesn't matter. And then when that final poll does come out whenever it actually does matter, then at that point, if there are some logical fallacies and inaccuracies, at that point, you can rip it apart and you can... But at this point, yeah, it doesn't matter. Who cares? But, I mean, they rank, they're going to rank teams based off of this poll, like, going forward. So, I know they say that they, re, they redo it every single week, but looking at this poll, I know that's a freaking lie. So... I mean, they could have easily dropped Minnesota way down there. They didn't. They only dropped them two spots. Well, yeah, they have a quality loss now. <laughs> just i just yeah there, there's no logic on display with this whatsoever i i don't whatever that's fine i mean it's it, it's almost so bad to the point where you're right you should just not pay attention to it because it's so bad like i don't 
yeah, it's none of the, it's just none of this really does anything for me. I mean, yeah, you, you want to know what they are, but then it comes out and I just kind of move on to the next thing because everything that matters happens on Saturdays. And I just look forward to Saturday now because that's what's going to affect then the next poll that doesn't matter and then the next one. And it all depends on uh, Oklahoma looking good. And Oklahoma, again, Baylor is a good team. It's a really good team, but Baylor could also have three losses this year. And they were jacked up. Game day was there. They came out and played the best half of football they played all season long. And Oklahoma is lucky to get out of there with a win against a team that has a pretty soft strength of schedule and had has won. Let's see. Iowa State's a good, a good win. Everything that you're saying right now about Baylor applies to Oregon. Everything. Applies to Oregon? Yes. They should have three. I mean, they, they almost beat Auburn. Yeah, the and they lost, the which counts as a loss. And they sure. were outplayed and were lucky to beat Washington and Washington State. How is that any different than Baylor being outplayed and get and and, and being lucky to win? Oh, I mean, they must like they like Justin Herbert. They like the NFL quarterback. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just I don't care that much about it. It what's going to happen? It's going to happen. I mean, what do they always say at the end too? They'll have the full. You know, whenever the, all the data points are in and the, the schedule is fully there, then that's what's going to matter, you know, in the end. And uh, I, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, we already logical, know. But, hmm? I mean, we, we already know that the Sooners aren't going to really get any credit for beating Baylor again. So that's not necessarily true. What if, you know, Baylor, they beat Texas or something this week and they look good against Texas. I'm sure they can jump up a little bit. And Oklahoma there's nothing State Baylor can should, do right now. There's nothing Baylor can do. Is Texas ranked in this playoff? No, rankings still? Are they out finally. They're out. I mean, it's good oh, to see Iowa State there. I mean, that's good. Um, yeah, the committee does like Iowa State. That's for sure. Would so have been I nice guess if Oklahoma yeah. wouldn't have wouldn't have only beaten them by a point and would have been able to keep some margin there. And so that I actually, help. when it, when we were doing the show, I was kind of following this, and I saw that Iowa State was twenty two and USC was twenty three, and I started to think I was like, oh my gosh, the committee is actually is is going to jump OU over Utah and Oregon, aren't they? I thought that's what they were about to oh do. Oh my gosh, you thought that was even a possibility? <laughs> no um, way that was ever. I mean, that's yes. the best case scenario was OU going to go up to eight. Um, because jump Oregon's State. best win is over number 23 USC, and OU has two wins over teams in this. So the committee is, the committee is telling us right now that OU has two better wins than Oregon's best win. And they yeah. do. Also, that is, the that committee is, that really is wants to see Oklahoma not they're saying hey show us show us some more dominance show us like you can you can you know be more consistent on both sides and of you're the ball. gonna have Oklahoma's to explain played- to me why why OU being dominant in September and October when when Oregon really wasn't being that dominant why that doesn't matter and Oregon and also Oregon struggling against those other two like 500 teams also doesn't matter but it does matter for OU well I think in you, September you can't explain you, it yeah, you can't. I mean, because the defense was dominant for Oregon. They were giving up no points. I mean, they were shutting OU's people down. OU's offense is is so much better than Oregon's. Like to the like an order of magnitude. It's like not even freaking close. It's it's not as good right now as it has been though. And I think it's pretty clear. And it's, it's still and it's still in so much better than than Oregon's <laughs> offense. I don't know. We'll see. It's hard to argue that whenever Oregon has put up a bunch of points the last couple of weeks and they're starting to figure it out on offense. Anyways, let's talk about the Big 12 briefly. Oklahoma Wait, really? State at they, West they just scored 34 points at home against like the 111th ranked defense in college football. 
Don't give me that crap. They struggle. They they struggle to get the ball downfield. They're really inconsistent running the ball. Oregon's a free, is, is a freaking fraud, man. They're a fraud. <laughs> wow. I uh, didn't know you watched so many Oregon games that you had such strong thoughts on Oregon. All right, Oklahoma State plays at West Virginia this week. Kansas at Iowa State. Texas is at Baylor. We're going to save that for picks. Kansas State and Texas Tech. West Virginia just uh, just beat K-State, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't see any of that game, but did West Virginia – they brought a new quarterback in, right? I don't think it's Austin Kendall anymore. Yeah, Jared I think this Dayton. guy actually might have been pretty good. Yeah, he was a um... – he was actually a he's a grad or not a grad transfer. He's just a transfer from uh from Bowling Green, I think. And uh his yeah, his his last season as a starter at Bowling Green, he threw for like nearly three thousand yards. So he's got some ability. Um hmm. so, well, so yeah, yeah anyways, I mean, so yeah, West Virginia might be a little different now with a different quarterback. I watched a, I watched a little bit of that game and he's I mean, yeah, he, he looked quite a bit better than Austin Kendall. But man, that's that's tough when you see Kansas State at home losing to West Virginia. But right? hey, Austin Kendall was totally neck and neck with Kyler Murray that summer for the starting mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. What a just good lord! <laughs> that's the Big Twelve. Uh, the biggest game of the week in the Big Twelve is Texas and Baylor. That's for sure. Uh, it doesn't have to do with Oklahoma. Uh, let's go to our picks. And Grant had a nice week last week, four and one, and I was two and three. So on the season, you're back over 500. Congratulations, 28, 26, and 1. I am 24, 30, and 1, so my picks are terrible. And it seems like we're picking a lot of Big Ten games in this, and there's two more to talk about this week, and that annoys me because I just, as all of you know, hate the Big Ten. But let's start with Michigan and Indiana. Michigan's a 10-point road favorite over the Hoosiers. Michigan's starting to fire on all cylinders right now. Blew out Michigan State, who's terrible. I'm not so sure if the Michigan's offense is better. It seems like it probably is. Indiana was surprisingly better than I thought they'd be. I thought Penn State would come out and take care of business. But, yeah, I mean, what you said about Indiana and them throwing the ball against a Penn State secondary that's not used to it pretty much played out. I don't have any strong feelings about this game, but uh, that's a – uh, Indiana getting 10. I think Michigan's defense is kind of starting to play better. So I think I would probably lean to Michigan, even laying the points, because they're starting to, even though this is the game before Ohio State, I believe, right? So is there any sort of look ahead factor for Michigan? I don't know. Uh, that's probably why I only lean to the Wolverines. What are you feeling about this game? I think I like Michigan in this game. Um, and it's mostly just because Michigan's Michigan's just played like a top 10 team ever since the first quarter at Penn State. They've been they've been annihilating people, um, and I, I'm not. When Harbaugh gets on these runs at Michigan, he they usually cover a lot. So I'm just going to kind of ride that wave, and then I'm sure it'll it'll all come crashing down next week against Ohio State. Texas at Baylor. Baylor's a five and a half point home favorite. Man, I mean, what does Baylor do after that crushing loss that essentially ended its playoff hopes? <sighs> man texas also what's texas playing for at this point it's in i guess texas is kind of playing spoiler because at this point i don't think texas has any chance to get to the big 12 title game anymore. they technically still have a uh 
have a chance at the Big 12 championship yeah. game. But Baylor would need to lose out, okay. which means they need to lose at Kansas next week, which honestly I could I could see a scenario playing out where Kansas beats Baylor. <laughs> <laughs> Who did Texas lose to last week again? I've already forgotten. Iowa, Iowa State. State. That was last week? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Iowa State's a good team. I lean Texas here. I'll just so say I kinda it. like I kind of like Texas in the points. I don't think Baylor's going to be able to run the ball. They're going to not let Charlie Brewer out. Texas' secondary is not good, but, man, it'd be such a huge letdown for Baylor. They just lost that game. Yeah, I think I like Texas. I kind of like Texas plus the five and a half. I kind of wish I was getting – kind of wish it was a little bigger. But, uh, yeah, so you like Texas too? Or you're on uh, Texas? I lean Texas. I think uh, the one thing that's giving me pause is I think the Matt Rule versus Tom Herman coaching matchup is pretty lopsided. Mm, um, interesting, yeah. So – I, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Baylor comes out and plays well, to be honest with you. But I, um, I I'm just going to go uh, Baylor. They've they just played a lot of close games this year, so I'll go with Texas. Uh, you know, I'm having second thoughts. I'm going to flip it. Actually, I'm on I'm on Baylor now. I'm like thinking in my head how this game's playing out and Texas's offense, which I don't think is actually any really all that good. And I do like Baylor's ability to keep everything in front of him and prevent big plays. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to be on. I think I'm going to lean Baylor, actually. Not that it matters because my record this year is pretty terrible. This is an interesting game. Texas A&M at Georgia. Georgia's laying 13 and a half. Georgia off of a, an emotional big-time win over Auburn. Texas A&M is Texas A&M. The only kind of insight I have on the Aggies is it seems like anytime A&M has any sort of crazy upset win, it's never at home. It's always on the road. I point to that game against Auburn in, uh, in 2015 when they went into Jordan-Hare and knocked off, I think, a top-10 Auburn team out of nowhere with, I think, Kyle Allen playing quarterback. And God, was there another one? Or maybe that was the last one. So it doesn't ever really happen. Obviously, that was Kevin Sumlin coaching. Man, you know, I I think I'm going to lean towards A&M plus the points, plus 13 and a half. This could be a letdown game for Georgia, but I don't know how a and going to move the football. So even with the points, that's kind of, eh. This could be a, whatever the over-under is, I might have to look at the over-under, the total, and take the under in this game, to be honest with you. Unless well, Texas lean, defense is checked out. Yeah, I lean A&M just because Georgia's offense has struggled. And I don't know, I mean, 13 and a half just kind of seems like a big, too big of a number for Georgia's offense right now. Yeah, I'm actually going to lean Georgia because I feel like with the 13 and a half, they're kind of wanting you to take. Are they wanting you to take A&M here? They kind of are. So that hook is whatever. But again, it doesn't matter. I'm terrible picking these games. I'll go Georgia, whatever. Who cares? It's for fun. Really, I would argue they want you to take Georgia here because you are getting that hook. Right. And I, 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 I yeah, I, th I think the public is going to look at that and be all over Georgia. Yeah. Hmm. Speaking of a hook, Oregon has 14 in the hook on the road at Arizona State, 6.30 kick on Saturday. And is there a world in which all this heatedness from Grant just goes out the door after Arizona State upsets Oregon? Be rooting eh, like hell for it. Probably not, but it could happen. I mean, it, it could totally happen. When I say Oregon is a fraud, I mean it. They're at, they absolutely could be beat by Arizona State. <laughs> 
Uh, I think Oregon's so, playing some really good football right now. They have everything in front of them. They know what they need to do. And for Arizona State, I guess I could pull up their schedule. Are they struggling against bad teams all of a sudden? Or yeah, that's the only know. problem. I think Arizona State's lost like four in a row. Well, I mean, they didn't struggle. They, bowl game in a way. Last, they, they lost to USC last week in which they, they lost by one because they went for two in the win at the end of the game. Oh, I like that. That was a couple of weeks. Well, they and lost also, to Oregon State last week. Is that what you're talking about, Oregon State? Um, no, that was against USC, so it was two weeks ago, I think. Um, well, they lost to Oregon State by a point last week. Okay, Arizona yeah, you're State right. Week, so it was so. last week then. I'm just getting them mixed up. Um I, I would, and then also you got it. You got it. I mean, this is the six thirty ABC game, yeah. so you would. I mean, maybe maybe the crowd will be will be in it. You never know. Um, I I mean, I, I lean Arizona State here for sure. Yeah, I like that extra hook. I like the 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 touchdown and a half or two touchdowns and a half. Actually, let's go Oregon. Oregon was just at home. Yeah, you know, the last time though they played a prime time. Even though this is kind of like prime time ish because it's 6 30 central it'll be what 4 30 in arizona when this kicks off <laughs> that's still that's still uh, prime time it's getting dark at 4 30 yeah uh you know they took care of business on the road at usc and made a statement you know the last time we saw them but uh yeah i mean just out of uh it's it's more of like a it's a it's a biased thing but i'm kind of on arizona state too and that's more of with my heart not my head i think because i think oregon's playing pretty good football right now uh, and then this last one, I know we're both going to be on the same side here. We discussed a little bit. Ohio State on ESPN. That's where I take the lines from ESPN. But uh, Ohio State laying 17 and a half at home against Penn State. Ohio State, I like Ohio State uh, until, you know, whatever. We were talking about how high this line needed to go for us to even think about Penn State. And what were you thinking? Definitely somewhere in the 20s before you 24 even thought about Penn State. It's about as high as it would go uh, before <laughs> I would take Penn State. Yeah, so we both. I mean, Ohio State's playing some awesome football. I I know you like Penn State a little more than I do. I don't. I think Clifford is okay. I think he's not very good throw of the football, and Ohio State's defense is really good. I am concerned about the weather, but that might be a little overstated because I think the better team it won't affect them as much. It might might damage Penn State more. It's supposed to be maybe a little rainy there and cold. I say it would definitely damage Penn State more. They they rely much more on their passing game than Ohio State does. Yeah, and also too, these two teams have played incredibly close games the last three years which would make you think okay Penn State but Urban Meyer's not involved and whatever Ryan Day is doing there in Columbus has been incredible so far so uh, that's why I'm going to go Ohio State and uh, yeah I make a pretty sizable bet until Ohio State proves me wrong so I, I like the Buckeyes here I know you, you you do too as well hey they didn't cover against Rutgers last week I know what was it like it was like a record Big Ten line or something yeah, they, I the think they only won 50s. by 31. I think it was 52 to 21 was the final score. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's all we have for today. Enjoy OU versus TCU. Last home game of the year. Grant and I will be back afterwards to break it all down. Hopefully it's a positive podcast and hopefully Oklahoma and front of the nation under the lights makes a statement against the Horned Frogs leading into Bedlam the next week which bedlam i believe is also going to be in prime time it came out this week i think it's a seven o'clock kick so oh you getting some prime time kicks late in the year until next time for grant i am lee this is west of everest